This is Dr. Patton uh, dictating a midterm review uh, in 19, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 2019 for SC313, that is Anatomy and Physiology First Semester Midterm Exam Review. There are several things I think that are important to review. First of all, you need to know the difference between gross anatomy and uh, microscopic anatomy. Uh, gross anatomy being uh, over the entire large body and the large body structures. Uh, microscopic anatomy uh, is also called histology when you're looking especially at a study of the tissues. Cell biology would be the study of individual cells themselves. It's also important to recognize uh, the difference between a positive and a negative feedback system. Most of the body uses, um, most of the time, uh, negative feedback. Negative feedback is to maintain homeostasis. For example, if the blood sugar goes up, insulin goes up, drops the blood sugar back to normal. The blood sugar goes down, uh, the insulin is going to stop, you probably have uh, Another uh, thing, uh, such as glucagon, help uh, uh, release blood sugar and put it up. Uh, same way with blood pressure. Uh, several functions uh, would be to, uh, if the blood pressure is high, uh, heart's not going to beat quite as strong, heart won't beat not quite as fast, and uh, you, your pressure will drop. If your blood pressure is low, your, heart's going to, your heartbeat is going to speed up, the uh, vessels are going to contract, the uh, contractility of the heart will increase, bringing it back to normal. The whole idea, the negative feedback, is that whatever is out of norm is brought back. Things that are too high come back to lower. Things that are low go back up. Now, there's so many examples there. As I mentioned, too, blood pressure, uh, sugar. But the same thing is true of temperature. For example, you're too hot, you sweat, uh, and uh, you have evaporation. Uh, you get too cold, uh, the blood vessels to the skin contract, uh, basically shut down the, the superficial uh, flow of blood there, and you start to shiver uh, because that means more muscle contraction and generation of heat. Anything along that is a negative feedback. That is 90-95% of the, of the cases. On the other hand, a positive feedback works uh, so that if something is too, uh, let's say it is has started, then whatever starts feeds it back so that it will go uh, stronger. There are not many things of this sort, and when they are, they have to have something to terminate them um, other than death. For example, a, a positive feedback uh, would be for uh, contractility with uh, a birth where the patient uh, is uh, starting to have contractions and the contractions may uh, then stimulate further release of oxytocin, which then stimulates more contractions, which releases more oxytocin, and so the contractility of the uterus gets more and more. Now, what stops it, of course, is delivery. The baby comes out, there's no more stimulation, and that uh, basically ceases. Another uh, one of these is uh, the local effects of coagulation. Now, outside of the local area, uh, the body dilutes down the various coagulation uh, s 
substances, so otherwise the whole body would coagulate, but it doesn't. But uh, some in the local area, for example, you may have uh, the uh, platelets uh, aggregate, which stimulates uh, things to come and more platelet coagulation and other clotting factors until a clot is formed. So it's uh, important to know the difference between the two. Uh, when you're describing things, you need to remember that we normally describe with the anatomic position. Just a reminder for the anatomic position. The anatomic position is the person is erect, facing forward. The hands are not pronated, but supinated. That means that the hands face forward and the thumbs are going to go out. That is the normal uh, anatomic position, and you'll describe it from the point of view of the person themselves. Uh, in the uh, normal anatomic position, then also a few other structures that are important, cephalic is head, uh, as opposed to feet. Uh, the front is anterior, uh, posterior is uh, in the back. Uh, some will say, okay, posterior also is sometimes described as dorsal. Uh, that's a little harder to understand with an erect human. Uh, if you put the person as an animal, ventral is down and dorsal is up, then you bring that uh, animal up into an upright position, that would give you the same sort of idea. Uh, so you'll want to know that. Uh, you'll know that there are uh, dorsal uh, cavities, uh, basically, which include the brain and, uh, and the spinal cord, ventral cavities, uh, which are going to include the uh, thorax with the lungs and heart, uh, the, uh, the abdomen, uh, and the pelvic areas as the main areas. Now, there are other areas as well. Inside those areas, you have linings. The, uh, if it is something that is a um, let's say a lining of the lung, a lining of the lung would be plural. If it's visceral pleura, it's on the viscera, that is the lungs themselves. If it is parietal pleura, it is on the thoracic cage, uh, and there's a, a virtual space between the two where a little bit of fluid comes in, the, uh, which, is the, uh, which is there as well. Uh, uh, in the abdomen, you would have uh, the visceral uh, membranes uh, would be the visceral peritoneum and the uh, parietal peritoneum would be along the outside linings of the abdomen. One of the characteristics of, uh, well, there are a number of characteristics of an animal or a, uh, a living organism that are important. Uh, one of these is locomotion. Uh, another is, um, let's say, uh, is the uh, is digestion. Another is transport uh, from one part of the organism to another. Another is uh, com uh, communication by uh, neurological tissues. Now, in a tissue with a whole body, uh, the neurological communication is by far the the fastest and the uh, muscular tissue generally uh, moves the body. In, uh, of course, in a single cell, that is not uh, going to be necessarily the case. Uh, the, so uh, 
the, in addition to that, you have the hormonal system, which also is a communication system, but it's not as rapid. So uh, a neurological uh, system would be used, for example, you touch a hot plate, you, uh, your hand reflexly is removed. That's very, very fast. Neurological, uh, for a hormonal situation, uh, you might uh, be uh, see a lion coming at you and your hormones start to uh, release all kinds of different hormones uh, to enhance your departure. However, your departure itself would be stimulated by the neurological system stimulating your, your muscles. But the hormonal system would cooperate by releasing um, uh, epinephrine, norepinephrine, uh, putting up um, uh, contractility of your muscles would probably be enhanced. You would uh, release uh, glucose for extra energy and that sort of thing. Now, uh, in this uh, communication, uh, the communication uh, system usually determines uh, on uh, the communication is sent through the uh, membrane of the organism. Uh, particularly, this is true, of course, in the neurological, uh, also to uh, in the muscular, uh, and the things that are by, by far the most important then uh, for uh, communication, uh, especially with nerves, would be the sodium-potassium pump, in particular potassium and sodium. Uh, the, uh, in some situations, uh, in this, uh, you'll have calcium that also enters in, and some other things that enter in and change the permeability. But that uh, change uh, is normally the most important with uh, sodium uh, rushing into the cell. Proteins are, uh, well, let's talk briefly about the various forms of uh, materials in the uh, body that you see. Uh, the carbohydrates are usually, uh, are as they would say, carbohydrate. That is, there is uh, carbon, carbo, and hydrate, water, you, uh, with a ratio of C, whatever the number is, and then 2C is the number of uh, hydrogens and, and uh, the number of oxygens would normally equal the number of carbons. For example, let's take glucose. Glucose has, uh, is usually a six-sided carbon uh, structure with some hydrogen and oxygen. And so usually you would have C, that six, um, there would be six C. Uh, you would have 12 hydrogens and again, six oxygens. That's carbohydrate, usually used primarily for uh, energy, but also uh, at times used for identification uh, and maybe a, a component of uh, certain structural organisms. Lipids uh, have uh, a more tightly organized uh, structure without as much in the way of oxygen. Uh, they can also have other things like phosphates, in which they case they would be phospholipids. Uh, and the energy is more concentrated uh, uh, with them, and that is used primarily for uh, energy, although it is used also for insulation and uh, for protection of the body. Uh, 
protein is by far the most um, flexible and uh, type of structure and used uh, most uncommonly, uh, most, I should say, in almost all structures of the body uh, that are not used primarily for fuel. It can be used for fuel. In addition to the carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, the uh, protein always has nitrogen because it is formed of groups of amino acids and all amino acids have uh, nitrogen in addition to carbon oxide, uh, carbon protein, uh, hydrogen, and oxygen. In addition, you may find such structures as uh, phosphates would be the most next most common structure, and uh, sulfates and a few others. Proteins uh, are long chains of these amino acids in sequence. These are then folded in secondary folds, either uh, pleated or uh, globular, and then they are folded into a third and even a uh, sometimes a fourth uh, three-dimensional structure, and that structure is very important for them to be able to uh, perform uh, properly. They are held together primarily by hydrogen bonds, uh, and most of the others are held by covalent bonds, uh, and I would remind you that uh, the salts that are in the body, which are also very important, like sodium and potassium and chloride and, and such, are um, ionized with a complete transfer of the electron from one atom over to the other. Uh, some will take one uh, electron, such as uh, chloride. Some will take two. Uh, some will give two, like uh, that would be, for example, uh, uh, the uh, structure of uh, calcium, which would give two, and uh, then you have multiple combinations uh, of them as well. The most complicated uh, of all types of uh, structures, you have, of course, car carbons as a common cause for uh, fuel, fats as fuel, uh, protein not primarily as fuel but for structure and also for uh, the structure of enzymes and so forth. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, the most complicated of all is going to be DNA. DNA is uh, much longer uh, and codes for multiple types of protein to be uh, constructed. DNA consists of uh, deoxyribonucleic acid. It consists of uh, four nucleotides. Uh, they're always in pairs. Uh, adenine and thymidine are paired together. Guanine and cytosine are paired together. And they always are in uh, pairs, but the sequence is important. Uh, the, they then work through RNA. DNA uh, is a double helix uh, that is uh, produced. And there, so there are two identical uh, pieces of uh, uh, desoxyribonucleic acid. These can be separated uh, and reproduced so that it's possible then for the DNA 
which should be the same in every cell to be in the nucleus providing a direction for that nucleus within the body to make proteins in particular and other structures as well. Uh, the DNA uh, may uh, well make RNA, uh, messenger RNA, uh, which is uh, a translation of the DNA, allowing you to have that same uh, message given. RNA is similar to DNA, but it is a single uh, series, not a double helix. And secondly, uh, it has ribonucleic acid instead of desoxyribonucleic acid. That is, it has one more oxygen, uh, or you can say that uh, DNA has one less, and it has, they have uh, also a phosphate in both cases. And then instead of cytosine, uracil is uh, there, and this uracil will pair with guanidine. Uh, so uracil is another nucleic acid that goes with that. Uh, messenger RNA goes to uh, the ribosomes. Ribosomal RNA may be there um, and then enables uh, the structure to manufacture protein. The actual amino acids are brought by transfer RNA, which is a smaller RNA with a special code. Uh, has a code of three uh, different nu nucleic acids that codes for one of the different uh, am amino acids and it has an anticodon shows where it goes and then these two will uh, come together and allow you to form long sequences of uh, amino acids which are manufacturing the proteins. The proteins themselves uh, often form enzymes. Enzymes are proteins that are not destroyed but greatly accelerate the production of things like proteins. And what they do is they line up these amino acids, or in other situations, they may line up other types of, um, uh, of substrates to line them up so that the reaction that needs to take place takes place often thousands of times faster and with less energy. They are usually very specific, uh, and they will work with just a specific substrate. Uh, they um, often require a cofactor uh, to help, uh, especially when they're uh, get, getting energy. And uh, what they do is that they also lower the energy requirements that are required for activation. So they are specific proteins lowering the activation energy and often requiring a cofactor, for instance, uh, something that will pick up electrons and release energy by that way. Just want to mention again that their uh, enzyme uh, structures in the body uh, I'm sorry, the, the uh, salts in the body are different from uh, the others. The uh, proteins in general and the other organic substances, that would be the carbohydrates, lipids, and uh, the DNA and RNA, uh, have uh, primarily covalent bonds. And the three-dimensional structure is 
is occurs by a weaker type of bond called a hydrogen bond. On the other hand, salts are usually uh, ionic com they are ionic compounds where the electron is tr transferred completely. The salt will then uh, break down into two, uh, usually two or maybe even more structures. For example, uh, sodium chloride is the electron is transferred from the sodium onto the chloride, making its valence ring complete, and it will exist in those two forms. It will have a charge, as an electrical charge, an anion, which is a as a um, is a has a positive charge, has donated an electron, and uh, I'm sorry, an anion has a negative charge, has accepted an, uh, in a, an electron. A cation has given an electron, has a positive charge. So in that situation, you would have sodium, cation, chloride, anion. Sometimes the, like an oxygen, often takes two electrons. So for example, in that situation, you have water which is H2O, as you well know. Uh, you could also say dihydrogen oxide would be a technical way you could say that, but you have two hydrogen atoms, each donating a electron, so the electron ring is then complete, it's empty actually, for the hydrogen, and for the uh, oxygen, it uh, has two electrons given, completing its electron outer ring going from six to eight and being complete. So it would have a negative charge. Some of these uh, structures, when they are together, have a um, are polar, that is that one end of the structure is more positive or negative than others. Uh, in some situations, usually with salts, for example, they are totally separate and not together. Uh, when you look at the compounds uh, within the body, uh, the major cation in the cell uh, by far is the cation uh, potassium, which is very high inside the cell. On the outside of the cell, uh, the, major uh, the major item is sodium. And so the sodium is higher in the outside, tends to come in. Potassium higher on the inside tries to get out. Uh, actually in the cell membrane, but the permeability is greater for the potassium, and so potassium tends to go out more than the sodium coming in, and thus, as that happens, the cell membrane itself at the membrane, not elsewhere, at the membrane, has a negative charge because it is losing these cation potassiums going out. Uh, once again, I wanted to mention just a little bit about protein uh, manufacture, uh, and again, uh, we see that uh, you have uh, one type of DNA, but you have three types of RNA. The type of DNA is in the cell uh, that is wrapped around a histone protein, uh, and maybe thousands of uh, nucleic acids long. The protein uh, comes off of messenger RNA, which is coded over a, a piece of one of those DNAs. There's also ribosomal RNA, which is the, you can say the manufacturing location, can be out in the cytoplasm loose, or it can be against the endoplasmic reticulum, rough. 
and the transfer RNA is the type of RNA, it's shorter, but it transports the amino acid to the ribosome where the messenger RNA is coded in the ribosomal RNA and the ribosome to make the protein. What about the, uh, the membrane itself uh, in every cell? Every cell has a membrane and every cell has a uh, resting membrane potential. The resting membrane potential uh, is pr produced by the electrical difference uh, in concentration gradients between the sodium and potassium ions as a major issue. If left alone, it would be minus 90, primarily by the, uh, from the uh, difference in potassium ions, but with sodium, it comes down to about minus 70. Uh, this membrane uh, potential requires energy to maintain. It is required, it requires a, an active transport. And so during the cell life, there is a certain amount of energy that is constantly being used to pump sodium back out of the cell and to allow potassium to come uh, to be pumped back into the cell. These two are coupled in the sodium-potassium pump uh, and uh, the uh, membrane potential is maintained by that potential. Uh, if there is no energy, eventually that potential is going to disappear. That potential is vital uh, in a number of functions, but particularly in terms of communication and in such things as the nerve cell, it is absolutely vital. Now across that membrane, the membrane is a um, semi-permeable membrane. It is formed by a combination of, of lipids and, that are with phosphates in them called phospholipids. And the phospholipids have two ends to this long molecule. The one which is, has the phosphate in it is hydrophilic. That is, it loves water. Water is a polar compound. The other end is hydrophobic, that is, it hates water. And so it's a two-sided membrane, two of these molecules, uh, two molecules thick, and the fatty substance is in the center, and the ionic ones are on the outside. This allows a variety of things to cross. Some of these processes are passive, some of them are active. All passive all passive uh, transport mechanisms do not require energy. All active do require energy. The, uh, there are several pumps that are maintained, uh, the sodium potassium being the best known, but there are other pumps there as well. Uh, hydrogen can be pumped uh, and also uh, calcium can be pumped in uh, some circumstances as well and they require energy. Also transport by vacuoles uh, across uh, with exocytosis, uh, endocytosis, transcytosis, all of these processes are energy requiring processes. 
The major process that does not is diffusion or osmosis. Osmosis is really diffusion of water. Uh, water can get through. There are certain holes in this membrane called uh, aquapores that allow that to, to occur. Uh, and there are certain transport uh, pores that are there that allow certain specific molecules to come across on their uh, across using their concentration gradient. For example, glucose that is uh, permitted. That is called facilitated transport. Others is simply a normal diffusion like oxygen, carbon dioxide, and lipids that just go through strictly on a concentration basis. The smaller uh, molecules go through faster, the larger molecules go through slower, or they may not get through at all if they're larger than the pores are uh, going to permit. A red cell is an easy way to see what is happening at that, especially with the question of osmosis, where the water inside the cell, uh, inside the red cell, and the water outside the, water, the red cell are uh, important. In, if you take a red cell and you put it into a normal isoosmotic, that's the same osmol's uh, concentration, the red cell will look exactly the same. Uh, it will not change in shape. If you put it in a hyperosmolar circumstance, then what is happening is there are more uh, osmols, more substances outside the cell than inside the cell, and the water, since it moves down a concentration gradient, can go in the direction, is going to tend to move out of the cell. The cell will shrink down and become what we call crenated. If, on the other hand, you put it in a hypotonic solution, like just plain water, for example, then the water concentration on the outside of the cell is greater than the inside of the cell, and what has happened is the cell is going to swell and may very well pop uh, as too much water comes in and it cannot uh, and it bursts. Now, in addition on the cell structure, there are a number of other uh, things that are important. One of them uh, is recognition uh, where you have the protein uh, uh, cell with certain carbohydrates may be on that cell membrane. And that is used for identification to see if that's your cell or some other cell that's coming in. Other things that uh, are often found on cell membranes, you may have, for example, uh, a cell with, uh, with flagellum. Uh, fl uh, usually it's only one. Uh, and that's a long tail. In the human body, there's just one that that's characterized as that, and that flagellum uh, is on the sperm of the male. It's one flagellum, the rest of the, the, and you have just the head, which is pretty much lo uh, localized uh, DNA carrying uh, the male uh, rec uh, amount of uh, nucleic acids for uh, and to go into an egg, a little bit of energy uh, uh, requiring things with mitochondria and the flagellum. On the other thing that you may find is uh, microvilli. Microvilli are very small, multiple membrane bended things that greatly 
increase the size of the um, of the cell membrane. What this does is gives you a great deal of surface area that you would not otherwise have. You find this particularly in things like uh, the uh, epithelium lining the uh, GI tract, where you're trying to absorb stuff into your, uh, from the GI tract, nutrients and so forth, to come into the body. You may find it in other locations where there's a lot of transport going on as well. Microvilli uh, have been described as a brush border where you can see the microvilli looking like a thickening along the apical side of the uh, epithelium, that is the side away from the base. In terms of the diffusion itself then, uh, passive diff uh, diffusion is basically a passive process. The smaller the molecule, the faster the diffusion. The higher concentration, the faster the diffusion. The higher temperature, the faster the uh, diffusion. If there is a special transport mechanism, uh, the faster the transport, but that often can be saturated. That is, if you have a certain number, like glucose, for example, you have a certain number of membrane, tra membrane um, transport uh, proteins in that cell uh, wall. If you get above that, then the uh, glucose is going to have difficulty getting into the cell. So that uh, makes a difference as well. So all of those things uh, make a difference. Of course, if the molecule is, is above the size of the semi-membrane pore, then it's not going to get it at all. And that is, for example, the situation with proteins, where proteins in the cell do not diffuse out. Otherwise, you'd be losing your protein all the time. The cell membrane itself uh, has uh, in it uh, primarily lipids, <clears throat> and uh, it has uh, phospholipids <clears throat> with phosphate, that's the, in fact the dominant. It has some pure uh, carb, uh, carb, it has some carbohydrate mixed in that is on the, uh, that is often called glycocalyx on the outside of the glucose membrane. It has proteins that go through. Some of these proteins have enzymes hooked up with them, especially on the inside. They may associate with transport. They may use a secondary system and trigger enzymes inside the cell <clears throat> from uh, hormones that change the uh, outside of the, of the protein on the outside of the cell, to <clears throat> and the inside then has a different reaction, and cells are triggered, something is triggered within the cell. It, <clears throat> uh, it may have uh, proteins there, uh, glycoproteins as well. Uh, the one thing it does not have is it does not have any nucleic acids. They are never found in the cell membrane. I'm going to talk a little bit now about uh, tissues. There are four major tissues, epithelium, <coughs> connective tissue, muscle, and nerve tissue. Uh, the uh, epithelium uh, is uh, the lining on every uh, on every surface that is open uh, to the outside, particularly. For example, uh, the epithelium on the, on the outside is the skin. Uh, they have also epithelium on the uh, entire GI tract, from uh, the nose and mouth 
all the way down to the uh, anus. You have epithelium and the respiratory tract. <laughs> uh, you have uh, because it opens also uh, through the nose to uh, and the mouth to the uh, from the lungs to the atmosphere. You have it also uh, epithelium uh, found in the G uh, GU tract. That is the um, bladder and uh, kidney and the excretory system there. Uh, you also have epithelium uh, in some of the smaller lining places like such places as, as the sinuses uh, as well. There's always a difference between the top and the bottom. Uh, there's, that is uh, the side that is open is, is, uh, versus the side that is closed. Uh, there's a transport, uh, some sort of transport mechanism across it. Uh, if the epithelium is just one cell thick, it's called simple epithelium. If it's multiple cells, it is uh, stratified epithelium. And if uh, the shapes of the cells are also important, thin uh, are called squamous, uh, kind of cube-shaped, uh, cuboidal, and longer ones are called uh, columnar. And again, you can have simple or uh, stratified uh, in each situation. Uh, some of them have very specific characteristics. Uh, some of them, for example, the respiratory tract is often pseudo-stratified. looks like it's stratified, but it's really not. But the uh, nuclei are differently placed, so they look like it might be too thick. And usually has cilia that is used to move the mucus, uh, lining the uh, respiratory tract out, uh, so it cleans out dust and other, and other objects. Uh, this, it is the uh, cilia that uh, are often on the outside or the microvilli, and these are usually found in, primarily in the cells for um, the epithelium. Muscle cells, three types. Uh, skeletal muscle, which is the muscle that moves our bones and uh, gives us general movement, uh, arms, legs, and so forth. Uh, there is a cardiac muscle, which is the muscle of the heart pump, which is strictly related to the heart, has a different structure. Uh, the muscle and the muscle cells of the skeleton are actin and myosin that interact with each other, shortening with some other uh, structures along with it to allow that to occur. Shows band uh, bands in it that show the alternating of uh, the. Uh, actin and myosin in a specific structure uh, and shortens. Of course, in fact, all muscles shortens and the uh, muscle fibers may be extremely long at times and have multiple nuclei. On the other hand, the cardiac muscle is uh, usually single cell. It has gap junctions which allow communication between the various cells and uh, shortens. It has a place between the cells called intercalated discs, which are sort of a communication uh, place so that when the, when the heart muscle contracts, it contracts together. It would be very discouraging if a little bit contracts one place and another. Uh, in fact, that's what happens with fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation, you can survive. Uh, ventricular fibrillation, you cannot. The other muscle is in the smooth muscle. Uh, requires much, much, much less energy, lasts longer, is automatic. You do not have to think about uh, the 
cardiac muscle in general uh, being uh, you don't have to think heartbeat, heartbeat, heartbeat. You don't have to think about that. And the same thing is true in the GI tract and other places where the muscle contracts. Uh, the, the type of, uh, the other fourth type of tissue is much by far the co most common is connective tissue, connecting things together. Uh, consists of a variety of different types of connective tissue, uh, including uh, cartilage, uh, which I think we know uh, is an avascular structure. I should mention also that the epithelium is avascular, does not have vas uh, blood vessels, and uh, the has, is formed by chondrocytes. Chondroblasts make the uh, cells. Uh, chondrocytes maintain the cells. Uh, Initially, it forms the form of many of the bones uh, in the, in the uh, fetus, but later on, it ends up being the lining along the edges of the bone joints uh, as the main place and a few other locations as well. There are several different types. Uh, hyaline is by far the most common, scattered throughout the body. Uh, two places have elastic uh, tissues very heavily in them in the cartilage. One is in the epiglottis, uh, the valve that uh, separates out the trachea from the esophagus, and the other is in the ear. There is also strong fibrocartilage, which is very strong, but does have a certain amount of elasticity. A couple places you will see that in the pubic symphysis between the, uh, uh, the two pubic bones that are fused elsewhere, in the, uh, but are separated with this cartilage in the front, uh, and uh, then also the intervertebral discs would be another location. Regular connective tissue uh, is scattered throughout. It can be considered loose or tight, uh, and it can be uh, regular or irregular. The uh, regular uh, is uh, in uh, a single direction normally, such things as uh, tendons and, uh, and ligaments are these formed of these, mostly of collagen, a very strong moving in one direction. Uh, irregular uh, can be tight in multiple directions. It'd be particularly, for example, found in the dermis where your skin uh, as, uh, can move in multiple directions at the same time. Uh, loose is uh, used for uh, such things as allowing insulation and protection. Uh, uh, loose aureolar, there's also fatty uh, material that can be there. The uh, tight is uh, usually uh, a stronger structure, but less flexible. A strange but considered connective tissue, strange one is the blood, which of course uh, carries uh, oxygen, carbon dioxide, a number of other things in it, and travels throughout the body as a liquid form, but is classified as a connective tissue. As farms, uh, in terms of the skin itself, there are a few things to remember. Uh, first of all, uh, what about uh, cancer? I think skin cancer is probably the most common uh, cancer in the body. It's particularly found uh, among uh, light-skinned individuals, and especially light-skinned individuals who are heavily exposed to ultraviolet light uh, because they have their melanocytes, which make melanin, which protects you from this, are less. Uh, the most common is a basal cell carcinoma on the skin. It's usually localized, uh, locally destructive. 
uh, and once it's no noted and located, you can usually cut it out. Uh, sometimes you can use some other uh, things like uh, radiation or such, but normally a simple excision uh, is successful. Squamous is in the squamous cells of the, of the skin and is more malignant. The bad one is, the, uh, is a melanoma, which is a proliferation of the melanocytes. Uh, there are several different criteria, uh, but it's usually multicolored, irregular borders, larger, dark, and has a tendency to metastasize and spread and uh, is not uncommon that it kills the individual. In addition to the melanocytes, which make our skin color, which is the difference between blacks, whites, and other individuals, is in not the melanin, but the amount of melanin being produced by different uh, individuals in their cells. Uh, in addition to that, you have other cells that go through Lang uh, Langhan cells, which um, are eating up bacteria and that sort of thing. And you have some special glands. The uh, out, the skin itself has five layers uh, in thick skin and four layers in the uh, thin skin. The uh, innermost skin uh, layer, the deepest, just above the um, dermis, uh, in the epidermis, the outside of the dermis, is the basal cell. Uh, going up, then you have uh, granular uh, uh, cells, uh, it becomes more spicules, um, uh, that, and uh, then you uh, have uh, cells that eventually uh, flatten out gradually uh, from um, spicule cells to granular cells and then to the superficial layers, which are basically dead, and that is uh, the uh, keratinous uh, thick layers that are on the top of the skin. They are waterproof. Uh, they often have a certain amount of antibacterial substance on them. They're often pH a bit negative and uh, very, very important in separating the outside of the body from the inside of the body. In addition, you have uh, some cells, you have some uh, eccrine glands. Those are sweat glands, eccrine. That's different from the endocrine glands that send stuff directly into the bloodstream, or the exocrine glands that send stuff into <clears throat> a duct that goes into like <clears throat> the GI tract. The eccrine glands come out to the skin. The apocrine glands are a... Um, larger one and they put out a substance which later becomes rather unpleasant and can cause body odor. This occurs at puberty, uh, especially in the area of the axilla, the pubic area, uh, where uh, this fatty substance is then is broken down by bacteria and has a very unpleasant odor. Uh, you also have the breasts, uh, primarily in the females, which is a modified apocrine gland and you have ceruminous glands, <clears throat> which make cerumen, that is earwax, uh, that are also there. <clears throat> as far as the skin itself is concerned, there are uh, several layers to remember. There is the epidermis, which is the outside. You have the, <clears throat> then you have and that, as I mentioned before, has five uh, five layers of stratum lucidum, uh, lucidum right under 
the uh, layer of the outside, which is the thickened uh, squamous epithelium, which is basically dead. There may be a clear layer, and then the granulosa layer, the spinosum layer, and then the bottom layer is the basal layer. Uh, below that, you have the dermis. The dermis carries blood vessels, it, and these different other glands are sitting in the dermis, like the eccrine glands, uh, and uh, then you have, occasionally, you also have a, what they call a marocline gland, which is like the sebaceous glands, where the whole cell breaks down. That's it, and you have, that goes in next to the hair. You have the hair cells themselves, and the hair that's produced. You have a, a small muscle from the base of the hair, close to the bulb, up to the skin, which can contract, cause goosebumps and such. Uh, that is the erective pili. Uh, it is the erector straight up pili, the hair sticks straight up. And then uh, you also have uh, a variety of different nerve cells that are there. Now those nerve cells may go up into the epidermis, but they're primarily in the dermis <clears throat> uh, there. Right below that you have the hypodermis. Hypo below the dermis, epi above the dermis, dermis. So the hypodermis is has a lot of fat in it, uh, is a kind of an effective shock absorber uh, in that area as well. When you're looking at sweat glands themselves, which are very common, I've forgotten, I think like three million of the things, uh, the primary thing that they produce is uh, comes out to be water. Uh, it can be a rather large amount. Uh, a certain amount of salt comes out. It's rather small normally. Uh, some antibodies uh, can come out uh, there as well. Uh, and because it can, uh, you can excrete a large amount, a fair amount of salt because you have a lot of water coming out and someone who's sweating very heavily, let's say they're sweating three or four gallons of water per day, working on a very, very hot environment, you can have depletion of salt in that situation. That's why people take salt tablets when they're working in the summer in an extremely hot, uh, humid environment. The uh, structure of the bone, uh, when we come to the bone structure, you have two basic types of bone. You have compact bone and lamellar bone. Uh, you have bones that are, uh, lamellar bone is kind of flat with uh, a set of trabecular or spongy bone in the middle of it, kind of like a sandwich. Uh, it's thick on the top, thick on the bottom, and uh, spongy in the middle. Compact bone is very thick. It's usually circular and is classically would be found in the long bones. Uh, the, uh, in a long bone, the long shaft is called the diaphysis. It grows uh, from there uh, in length. However, in the long bones, you will have a secondary site of ossification of, calcify of, of um, cartilage uh, up in the ends of the bone, and that is called the epiphysis. Epiphysis and the epiphysis uh, is or epi 
physis, you could say, is on the ends, as you would expect, epi. Uh, there's often a plate there with growth going down and then later growth going in both directions. When that growth stops, uh, the, uh, the uh, epiphysis uh, calcifies and becomes an epiphyseal plate, and at that point the person stops growing longer. The uh, bone inside uh, is trabecular bone. It is formed as kind of a scaffolding. It's kind of like the, uh, if you look at a long, long bridge and you see the various wires that go uh, across there to hold it up. Uh, you, this is kind of similar to uh, the bracings that uh, that does and makes it stronger. Inside that area you will also find red marrow or, or yellow marrow. The amounts of red marrow are initially in a small, uh, let's say in a fetus or maybe in a small infant, a lot making blood vessel, uh, making blood cells. But as time goes on, it more and more is replaced by fat and you have yellow marrow, which is basically fatty. Uh, the cell, uh, the bone also can increase in thickness uh, from the periosteum aligning around the out of the outside. Uh, and this periosteum, the lining that's around it, uh, can uh, have cells that produce uh, and lay down uh, some osteoid and then calcify, and they are also have Sharpie's fibers, which uh, are uh, tying the, uh, the periosteum uh, in a strong way to the bone itself. The bone itself, uh, when uh, it breaks, most commonly breaks in the, the shaft, that is the diaphysis, but it can break in other areas. It can break the actual, in a young person, you can have an epiphyseal fracture, which goes right through this growth plate and separates, uh, se separates off that. I would not expect that in an adult where that is now calcified. The, so the skeletal system, uh, the bones produce um, red cells. They uh, have minor production of uh, hormones. Their major other things they do, of course, are the most important thing. They provide leverage for the muscles to move the body. Uh, they also provide protection for structures below, the most important of which probably is the cranium uh, and then the uh, spinal uh, cord being protected also by the vertebra, the skull protecting the brain, uh, but also the thorax uh, protects the important uh, lungs and heart underneath. The uh, GI tract and uh, the abdomen is really the l least protected area as far as the insides is concerned. The, in addition, they store m minerals and maintain, maintaining, main, I'm sorry, maintaining calcium uh, is one of the jobs of the bone as well. If the calcium goes down uh, and they need, your body needs more calcium, uh, a certain uh, hormone, uh, parathormone will be produced by the parathyroid gland, stimulates osteoclasts, which uh, will then dissolve the bone and release some calcium into the bloodstream. Uh, I should mention that uh, uh, you have chondroblasts, which make uh, 
the matrix for the cartilage, uh, chondrocytes, which maintain the cartilage. You have osteoblasts, which make the osteoid, which is the ground substance of the bone, which later calcifies. You have the osteocytes, which maintain this. You have communications uh, in uh, with little con uh, caniculi, allowing the uh, osteocytes to maintain uh, communication with each other. And then you have osteoclasts, not blasts, but clasts, C-L-A-S-T-S, which help dissolve the bone. And as bone is restructured, either uh, as the person grows or perhaps uh, from a fracture or other stresses, uh, then the osteoblasts and the osteoclasts work in, in unison to repair it. The basic structure of the compact bone is called the osteon and really is a central canal with a nerve and uh, blood vessels, that is artery and vein, uh, traveling in that with lamellar blown um, uh, lamellae around it, uh, forming uh, little circles. And then between these osteons, there's also some extra calcification. That is the basic structure so that the bone is like a series of pillars. Now, in normal bone, these are laid in, in sort of a crisscross pattern, which permits uh, the bone to resist twisting actions. It'd be kind of like uh, plywood, where if you'd had just everything running in one direction and you twisted it, it might split along the side, but with plywood, it's going to, be, it's going to resist that because you have them crisscrossing uh, in that area. In the bone, you have uh, structures in addition uh, in, in the actual bone that occur uh, connected to the nasal cavity, which allows the, the skull to be thinner, or I should say lighter, and also provides a certain amount of humidification and resonance to the voice, and these are called sinuses. Sinuses are hollowings out of the bone. Four bones have them. The maxilla, there's one on each side, so you have a right and left of sinuses. You have then also uh, three other bones that have sinuses that are basically uh, connected uh, all by in one bone. That is the frontal bone and the ethmoid bone and the sphenoid bone, and these sinuses are connected, as you would expect, in the front and they are connected to the nasal cavity. Uh, sometimes, as you know, uh, the linings may get infected, swollen, and so forth, and you get uh, sinusitis. Uh, so they reduce the weight of the bone while pretty much maintaining the functional strength. Uh, they allow uh, a certain amount of, of resonance in the voice, and if somebody is, for example, trying to sing with sinusitis, you will notice that their voice changes, their singing changes during that period of time. In the head, the cranial bone primarily is for, uh, uh, the cranium is primarily for the protection of the 
brain. Uh, the facial bones in front uh, allow for the opening of, of certain special sense organs, uh, such as the nose, uh, the taste, of course, is in the mouth, uh, and, of course, the eyes and the eye circuits. There, the skull is really rather complex. Uh, there are eight bones forming the uh, cranial uh, uh, bones themselves, uh, two parietal, two temporal bones, and then four other bones that are single, frontal, ethmoid, uh, sphenoid, and uh, occipital, and the sphenoid is considered the, the keystone because it reaches all the other bones. In the front, that is in the face, you have 14 bones. Uh, interesting, uh, there are more than in the skull itself. Uh, and uh, of those 14 bones, six are paired and two are single. The two single being the, max, uh, the mandible, uh, that is the jaw, and the vomer, which is in the center of the uh, nose. And then you have the maxillary, maxillary, which is, again, the keystone, has some articulation with the other bones. Uh, you have the uh, zygomatic, uh, nasal. Uh, you have the um, uh, then also the lacrimal and the inferior conchi uh, of the uh, nose as well. When we look at uh, the further in the structure of the bones of the uh, axillary skeleton, uh, which is the central skeleton, that is, it's the, it is the weight bearing from the head down through the uh, vertebrae and down to the uh, sacrum, uh, you find that you have uh, the vertebrae in the body. Uh, there are seven cervical vertebrae. There are 12 uh, thoracic vertebrae, and five uh, vertebrae of the uh, lumbar vertebrae, and then you have a sacrum, and uh, which is basically fused vertebrae, and also you have coccyx, which may be fused as well. The cervical vertebrae are the most flexible. They allow you to ro rotate your head back and forth, up and down, bend forward, bend backward, uh, flexion, extension, and then if you really bend way back so that you actually hurt your neck, in fact, you would call that hyperextension, just as that is you're going too far back. You can do the same thing with your uh, doing a back bend or that sort of thing as well. Uh, they have little holes that allow the vertebral arteries to go through. Uh, they actually have eight cervical nerves coming through because uh, they start counting above uh, at C1 is actually between the skull and the first, which is called the uh, atlas, uh, and then the second called the axis, and then the rest are just called by their numbers. Uh, but then you the rest of the cervical, once you get below the cervical, the uh, numbers are all below the vertebra, not above it. Uh, the thoracic, uh, among other th uh, characteristics, have a special space for the articulation of the ribs. And so you have a costal connection there 
uh, along them. Uh, they are it's a smaller hole than at the cervix. The cervical, of course, has all the spinal connections coming up that way, plus extra ones coming off the arms. The thoracic is a bit smaller. Then there's a lumbar that's a little bigger uh, in, in the inside and much bigger on the outside because it's going to carry the whole weight of the body uh, down to the hips. All of that weight is going to be on the lumbar uh, vertebrae. And uh, then uh, the sacrum itself is kind of a wedge-shaped thing that is a, f a fusion of several uh, ner with nerves coming out through holes in the sacrum. Uh, they would be S1 through S5. So uh, that is the basic structure of the vertebrae. The different groups of vertebrae have different structural uh, differences uh, in their size, the shape of the hole in the middle where the spinal cord goes through, whether or not the arteries go through, it only goes through those of the uh, cervical because it takes the vertebral artery which goes up to the base of the brain, and uh, also the shape of the uh, different uh, projections in the back. Uh, they all have a transverse process. They all have a back process, uh, a posterior process, but there's a difference in the shape. And this is where all these muscles uh, hook on as well. When we look at the axillary uh, at the appendicular uh, skeleton, it's important to recognize that there is a difference. Uh, the appendicular includes both the upper and lower extremities, but it also includes the shoulder girdle and the hip girdle. And it's important to recognize that that's part of the uh, external, uh, that is part of the appendicular uh, skeleton. The upper has by far the greatest mobility. First of all, the scapula has uh, no direct muscular, I'm sorry, no direct bone connection except at the clavicle. And the clavicle then hooks onto the sternum in the front. So there's a great deal of flexibility because the this is not tied into a joint, but this is primarily flexibility of muscles in the back and the shoulder. In addition, the glenoid uh, uh, connection for the humerus, the upper extremity, uh, allows a great deal of mobility. The shoulder is not deeply set into the glenoid, and in fact the primary thing that holds it there are the rotator cuff muscles. This allows a tremendous amount of movement, and the shoulder itself has more movement than any of the other joints, as far as I know, within, uh, within the body. Uh, it, however, means then that it is relatively unstable, and can dislocate rather easily. Uh, so the axial skeleton would include uh, the, the skull, the, the uh, spinal, uh, the uh, vertebra, the thorax, the scapula, I'm sorry, the, uh, the sacrum and coccyx. The appendicular is going to be the arms, the legs, and the two girdles. There is one unusual bone that we should not forget that does not articulate with any other bone whatsoever. That is a little bone called the hyoid bone, which is below the mandible and serves as an anchor for a number of 
uh, muscles in the tongue. Uh, kind of an exception and um, a, a single bone which is very important uh, but uh, the main thing is that it has no other articulation so it holds the, the muscle in the tongue uh, the muscles in the tongue in the proper position the thoracic vertebra as I mentioned uh, have uh, costal facets that's the main difference there all the I should mention also that all the vertebra have an intervertebral disc between them uh, formed of fibrocartilage with a softer nucleus pulposus inside kind of a shock absorber allowing a certain amount of movement and they are heavily uh, tied with uh, ligaments both front and back the most important being the anterior and posterior longitudinal ligaments but there are many ligaments also between the various uh, joints holding uh, the spinal cord uh, in uh, good position. Every uh, one of the synovial uh, joints, which includes virtually all the long bones and a number of others, uh, are what we would call synovial uh, joints. Uh, synovial joints differ from some of the others because there is a membrane with synovial fluid inside. Synovial fluid is, is uh, very slippery, uh, formed among other things with hyaluronic acid, and is kind of a lubricant uh, that allows movement to go back and forth. In some places where tendons uh, move over a bony substance, you may have other things like bursi, which are like, an, again, sort of like a synovial membrane. It's a, a membrane that goes around the tendon and allows things, uh, the tendon to slip back and forth again with fluid uh, in uh, the uh, the middle of it. There are uh, the difference between a tendon and a, a ligament. Tendons hook bones to uh, the muscle, and ligaments hit tie bone to bone. There is an unusual structure in certain of the uh, of the joints, uh, the most uh, prominent of which is the knee joint, which actually can divide the joint into places and is a, sort of a cartilaginous structure, which makes the place where the two joints move back and forth fit better and provides a certain amount of shock absorption and lubrication. The knee is a classic one, and they call this the meniscus. And I'm sure that most of us have heard of a meniscus tear, uh, and uh, that is a tear of this cartilaginous thing when uh, the knee has been twisted in the wrong uh, type of way. Uh, and because cartilage heals, uh, heals slowly because it's not well vascularized, it takes a long time for this to uh, uh, become solid. There are different types of uh, joints uh, we need to realize. Uh, gomphosis is the most, perhaps the most unusual in the sense that this is the joint that holds the tooth in its socket. You have suture joints, which are found primarily in the skull, which uh, are somewhat irregular in interlocking and basically do not allow much movement. Now, originally, when the child is growing, especially a small child, early child, uh, there is an area of opening here so the brain can actually, the, the bone will allow the brain to expand uh, during this period of time. In fact, 
uh, if you get a obstruction of the uh, fluid circulating inside the inside of the brain, you can get what they call hydrocephalus. It becomes rather grotesque and very large, but this allows the brain to grow. As time goes on, the brain reaches its maximum size, and these sutures come very firm, and there is no further movement. Uh, then there are syndesmosis, uh, which is a sort of fibrous union, allowing a little bit of movement, but basically very little movement. And uh, synchondrosis, which is a, a combination of cartilage, and then, of course, the synovial membrane itself. Of the various uh, joints, of course, important joints are uh, the hip joint, uh, which uh, sits deeply in the socket of the hip uh, and is, uh, has extremely strong uh, ligamentous structures around it so that it is uh, very solid, even though it allows a wide range of movement. Uh, it is uh, limited compared to the shoulder. And then the shoulder joint itself above, also both of these are, of course, uh, types of uh, uh, joints with no, no, a membrane uh, uh, around them with fluid in them, allowing uh, that to uh, uh, smoothly move. But the most complicated of these joints is really the knee joint. Among other things, it has ligaments on the sides, uh, and then it has two interesting ligaments, the anterior and posterior uh, collateral or cruciate, I should say, cruciate ligaments, which prevent the, the knee joint from going too far forward or too far backwards, in addition to the lateral ligaments, which prevent it from going uh, on the opposite sides. And with this, I believe we will uh, conclude our description of the review for this particular exam. It's obviously not complete, but uh, I think that we've covered the, major the majority of the questions that are, you will face on the midterm. And may the Lord bless you as you study this and try to understand it well.